0: Good morning. Good morning what a joy it is to be together amen to worship our glorious Lord sing songs about the gospel to freely open his word and enjoy him through receiving the word this is great this is great and because it's great let us start this time with the word of prayer Holy Father, we have already enjoyed a time of singing in which glorious truths of the good news of Jesus were proclaimed. And as the last song declares, so our hearts are filled with wonder that you would leave the perfection of glory to step into time to take on flesh, to save unworthy sinners, to die a criminal's death, that in our hearts your grace would shine. How can it be that we are recipients of such boundless love? Now, Father, we come to your word this morning expecting great things because your word is a lamp unto our feet. And a light unto our path. Father, we ask humbly yet boldly that you would guide us. For we know that your word, every bit of it, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Father, as we behold your goodness this morning, we express our desire. To grow in maturity. That we might be equipped for every good work. And so we submit this time to you. And we submit ourselves to you. And from our heart, we declare to Christ be the glory. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. This week, I read an article... Discussing why and people enjoy sharing things on social media, in person, by way of giving gifts, whatever the case may be. And of all the reasons, three of them really stood out to me. Number one, we share things, we share things that we find remarkable. Secondly, we share things that have practical value. And third, We share things that include the element of story. And our text this morning offers all three. It offers a reflection of a true story about the remarkable person and work of Christ, which undoubtedly offers practical value in the area of life and godliness. So if you would, please open your Bible to 1 John and let us consider together the first Seven verses. And out of respect for the Lord and His Word, let us stand as we consider this glorious text. Again, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. The Apostle John's address here to a collection of house churches in Ephesus has baffled many scholars in terms of its literary structure and flow of thought, or it might be better to say lack thereof. It doesn't resemble a letter, a formal letter at least, because it foregoes a customary greeting and a formal closing. And this likely denotes a sense of urgency and importance Surrounding the subject matter. And some see John's writing as somewhat of an essay. Unveiling realities concerning a right understanding of the person and work of Christ. And this is closer in my mind to John's intention. But because John throughout his address to his audience tenderly calls them my little children. It seems best to view this text as a thematic series of notes. For our modern vernacular, maybe we would even call these blog posts. They're written from a pastoral perspective offering practical counsel for living for the honor of Christ. And one difficulty in examining John's text is simply following its progression. Unlike Paul and others who are much more linear in developing statements and arguments, John is very circular he often will stop mid-sentence to chase a theological rabbit trail before returning to his original thought does anyone else have that problem And because of this I find that it's best to observe this text thematically And as we make our way through the text what we want to do is look for the big picture themes and big picture applications And from picking up clues from the text itself and considering historical documentation, we can deduce that John's audience comprised of at least three groups of individuals. We can call the first group the committed. The committed. These were folks who held fast to the message of eternal life as handed down by Jesus himself. Namely, we're talking about the apostles. In fact, in the first five verses of 1 John, the word we is used eight times exclusively and authoritatively of the apostles. Now, we can move from there and call the second group the confused. We have the committed, now we have the confused. And within the community to which John writes, there was much talk and debate about the person and work of Christ. Some who were influencing John's audience held a very low view of Christ and thus overvalued obedience to the law of Moses. Others had an extremely high view of Christ, so high that some folks were saying there is no way that the divine Son took on flesh to dwell among men. Not possible that he would come to live a physical, perfect life and die a physical, real death. And they were saying this because for these folks, for the divine, for the spiritual to take on material was absolutely unthinkable because anything material was viewed as sinful and evil. But both camps here were absolutely missing the mark of the character and work of Christ. And so John comes on the scene tenderly and yet boldly, and he offers a balanced Christology. Now we have a third group. We could call this group the corrupt. We have the committed, we have the confused, and now we have the corrupt. These are the individuals who had reached the conclusion and were publicly campaigning that Jesus was not the Christ, and by doing so, they were denying the Father and the Son. We read about these people in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, also in verses 22 through 23. Let me read those verses to us. John writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So with these three groups in mind, John writes to prevent theological damage to his little children, those under his spiritual care in the faith. He wrote to restore singleness of mind concerning the identity of Christ. And he did this because he understood the link between right theology and right application right thinking about who God is and right living for the honor of God. And so throughout John's blog series as it were, he states in five different places why he is writing. If you're taking notes, write these references down. 1 John chapter 1 verse 4. Also chapter 2 verse 1, chapter 2 verses 12 through 14. Chapter 2, verse 26, and then chapter 5, verse 13. Very simply, these verses point out to us that John's multifaceted purpose is this. He wanted to promote joy in the life of the believer. He also wanted to motivate the believer away from sin. And he wanted to warn against false teaching, and ungodly associations. And he also wanted to fortify his audience's confidence and assurance in the Lord. In essence, he makes it known that despite current circumstances, theological defections, and wrestling with indwelling sin, despite all that, it is possible to flourish under the banner of the gospel under the banner of the person and work of Christ. And so this brings us to this morning's exposition of these glorious seven verses. And our main point, which is this. The foundation of our faith is the word of life. The foundation of our faith is the word of life. Look with me at the end of verse 1, in which we read, concerning the word of life before john can disclose practical details about living in light of truth he has to and wants to lay a theological foundation for his readers he wants to provide proof for why certain actions must be taken and he wants to provide proper motivation for moving in the direction of change This wasn't just about behavior modification. It's rooted in something, someone. Now, some translations rearrange the Greek to make it very obvious at the onset that Jesus is the one being talked about. But in many other translations, the Greek is left in its original order. And I think that's important. This is for good reason. There's an intentional setup here for John, even though it seems a little dramatic. It seems a little ambiguous. It's very intentional. And so, our first subpoint is this the word of life affirmed. Our overarching point, the foundation of our faith is the word of life. Our first subpoint, the word of life affirmed. Keep in mind here that John is laying a theological foundation it might be better yet to say that he's reminding his audience of the right foundation of faith in Christ. And he's doing so knowing that his little children are vulnerable. And so he approaches the subject with very great pastoral tenderness and sensitivity. And the ambiguity here serves to reflect the mystery of the gospel, the mysterious unfolding of God stepping down into time on earth as the incarnate Christ. And so look with me at verse 1. He begins here, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. And to those who were inclined to take an overly high view of Christ, they would be quite pleased at this point. For it seems like John is talking about a message. After all, a message can have a beginning. A message can be proclaimed. A message can be heard. And to this point, John is less offensive to those who found the physical realm to be evil. But then, he doesn't skirt around the truth. He digs in. He adds weight. He adds depth. And he even adds offense to what he is trying to convey. He writes, and we are reading on in verse 1, which we have seen. With our eyes, which we looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. It is here that John makes it clear that what he is discussing is not just a message, but an object, and better yet, a person, the very Word of Life. And pointing to the sensory experiences of the apostles, he states that they have seen the word of life. They have intently observed and analyzed this word of life. They have touched the word of life. And John, of all the apostles, knew full well the experience of nearness to The word of life. For he was one of Jesus' inner circle. He was one who was closest to the word during the word's earthly ministry. And he had the privilege of literally, physically leaning on the word. And I can't help but think of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29, which details the resurrected word appearing to the disciples and showing them his literal hands and his literal side where he had been pierced. And then because Thomas was not present, he then goes to Thomas to be touched for the purpose of belief. And there the word said to Thomas that he believed because he had seen. But then he goes on to say that those who believe but have not seen are blessed. In other words... Blessed are those who have the eyes of faith to believe. So John discusses the apostles' first-hand experience of the word as proof for right belief and understanding correctly that very word of life. And in typical fashion at this juncture, John hears a key word, that word being Life And he gets gloriously distracted. He decides to take a break from his initial flow of thought to elaborate upon this concept, this reality of life. And so he inserts here a parenthetical statement that we would do very well not to overlook. Look at verse two. It says "The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Study that verse for a minute. See the opening. See the closing. Notice the bookends here. Was made manifest. That's the point. The word of life was made manifest. And that gives us our second sub-point this morning. The word of life revealed the word of life revealed the fact of the word of life being revealed is very reminiscent of what John writes in the prologue of his gospel which was read earlier to us by Ben and speaking of Ben wasn't the music just glorious this morning it never gets old singing the gospel amen y'all y'all can talk we can fellowship we can have a good time in the Lord was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was in the beginning. The Word existed eternally in the past with the Father, the Word created all things. In the Word was life. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this Word is Jesus. So we're talking about the incarnation. God the Son taking on flesh, taking on a human nature in history for the benefit of rebellious humanity. And so big a deal is the word that John speaks of Jesus, not only as life, but as eternal life in verse 2. This denotes both quality of that life and duration of that life. If we were to look at John 3, 36, we read these words, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In John 17, verse 3, we're told, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This should point us to John 1.18, which says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He, the Word, the Son, has made Him known. And in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says of Himself that He is the resurrection and the life. In John fourteen six, He says there that I am the way, the truth, the life. And to John, and hopefully, To us, the incarnation is a big deal. In J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on John, he writes When our Lord became incarnate, he took upon him nothing less than our whole nature. Consisting of a true body, reasonable soul, our Lord took upon him a body liable to those weaknesses, fatigues, and pains which are inseparable from the idea of flesh. He did not become a man like Adam before the fall, with a nature free from all infirmity. He became a man like any one of Adam's children, with a nature liable to everything that fallen humanity is liable to, except sin. So our Lord steps out of the light of eternal glory, of eternal purity. And he steps into the realm of sinful man, not only to show life, but to give it to those who would believe. Yes, so important is the incarnation that John says that we have seen it and we testify to it. Now in the Greek, this word testify is the same word in which we derive our term Martyr. So resolved is John and his apostolic cohort that they are willing to lay their lives down for the historical and physical Jesus that came to deal with the depravity of sinners. Are we resolved to uphold this glorious message in the same way? Are we willing, martyrs, as the apostles were, To them, the foundation of their faith was the word of life. To us, the foundation of our faith must be the word of life. The word of life is both the object of our worship and the message of our worship. And so they proclaimed it. And so should we. And proclaim Christ they did. If we were to go back to Acts chapter 5, specifically in verse 20, we would see the apostles being delivered by an angel of the Lord only to be commissioned to go to the temple and speak about this life. This life which was fully divine and fully human. The second person of the Trinity. God the Son revealed in the context of time to live a perfect life in the place of sinners to die a wretched death that only they we deserve. I think it would do us well if we just stopped here and asked a simple question, yet would take us all eternity to figure out who are we that god would come to rescue us in this manner who are we that god would come to rescue us to leave heavenly perfection to rescue those who only spurned his name hated his cause and hated his people Who are we, church, to be loved by a God so great? We must see what kind of love that the glorious grace of our Lord has been lavished upon us, that we have been visited by mercy. Let us never forget passages like Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. I invite you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. like the rest of mankind. But God, say that with me, church. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let us never forget Titus 3, Verses 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works, Done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See what kind of love. What about 2 Corinthians 5.21? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who are we to benefit from the glorious grace of our Lord? And yet we have. And so we are blessed. John, on behalf of the apostles, affirms Jesus Christ as the foundation of the faith. And he reveals Jesus as the object and message of of that faith and now if we turn our attention back to first John specifically verse 3 we see John returning to his initial line of reasoning by repeating that the historical Jesus has been seen by the Apostles and had been heard by the Apostles and so he is moved with deep urgency given the false teaching that is tempting his audience he is moved with deep urgency to proclaim Jesus and his true identity. And this leads us to our third and last subpoint this morning. The word of life enjoyed. The word of life enjoyed. Let's look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And here we see that proclamation has purpose. Proclamation has direction. You see, John proclaims Christ so that his audience would remain in this sweet place of fellowship that they once held firmly to, but now we're being tempted to abandon. And we need to see that this fellowship is a divine fellowship. It is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And as we hear those words, we should be reminded of places in Scripture like 2 Peter 1.4 that tells us that believers in Christ have become partakers of the divine nature. We should think Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We should think of John chapter 15 and think of ourselves as the branches abiding in the vine. And all of this reflects what John is saying, that the apostles have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And so he wants those he speaks to to have this brand of fellowship, this brand of partnership. And so we need to see that this fellowship is not only divine and vertical this fellowship is also horizontal there's an earthly component to it there's a relational component to it and so John says here that we proclaim the word of life to you so that so that what you too may have fellowship with us and this is something dear friends that only the gospel can accomplish that people who once hated God and his people would enter a type of fellowship in which there is unity of mind and heart concerning the word of life and those resolved to corporately, together, bear witness to this word of life. Fellowship is simply a mutual enjoyment of the things of the Lord. It's a participation in the things of the Lord. In other words, what we're saying is when we together corporately get together and enjoy God, we are sharing in what matters most to God. We are about the business of adopting His ways and His thoughts. We care as He cares about the salvation of souls. We desire to spend time Together with Him. And we have the ability in Christ to do just that. It is not and should never be burdensome for us to spend time together in prayer. It is not burdensome and should never be for us to spend time together examining the Word. Fellowship is a delight. It's a delight. It is something to be enjoyed, for it was something, dear friends, that was purchased by the very blood of our Savior. If we look at verses 5 through 7, we will see that this brand of fellowship is pure. It's a pure fellowship. It's a truthful fellowship. It's a light-filled fellowship. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin now lord willing in a series of future messages we will unpack these verses in greater detail but for now just take note that fellowship is a product of walking in the light living life in purity communing with the one in whom there is no darkness true biblical fellowship is a holy fellowship you may have noticed that I skipped over verse 4 I did that on purpose but let's read it together and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete now, if you have a study Bible, you may have a footnote that says some manuscripts insert the word your instead of our. Now, I freely admit that in the Greek there is a little bit of ambiguity here, but I do think the word our fits better, especially in light of 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, in which he says himself, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So in John's tender, his pastoral tone, he, along with the apostles, those who are holding fast to the word as handed down from the word of life, he derives joy from the spiritual growth of God's people. He wants their growth and godliness to promote his joy in the Lord. And that is a good and God-honoring, God-glorifying thing. He wants his apostolic cohort to rejoice, knowing that their labor has not been in vain, and that the gospel, this word of life, is being proclaimed and is bearing fruit as God intends. And I can stand here before you this morning and attest without a doubt that the elders of this church and like-minded churches around it find great joy in watching God's people become more devoted to Him through enjoying Christ. Am I right, Pastor Rick? And simply, in this very simple message, to those of you who are living in accordance with the affirmed word of life, according to the revealed word of life. I pray that you continue enjoying the fellowship that we have in the Father and in the Son and with one another. This is what Christ has done, that we might know Him, that we might enjoy Him, that we might live for His glory, that we might proclaim this message, that others would enjoy this fellowship with us. Let us strive to keep the main thing, the main thing. Amen. Strive to promote Jesus as the treasure of our lives. Strive to stay unified despite the many winds of doctrines that we face in our culture. Let us stand firm on Christ, the solid rock who is our foundation and refuse to be tossed around Bicultural tides. We need, we need, and we can link arms with one another. We can stand resolved to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified as our hope and as our joy. See what kind of love, church. See what kind of love. And yet, as we enjoy this fellowship of light, could it be that there are some among us who have no share in that fellowship? Could it be that there is someone here who has not believed the affirmed, revealed word of life, and thus they are not enjoying this word of life? Could it be that there is someone here that has not Repented, turned away from their transgressions against the holy God of all, and put their trust in the person and work of Christ alone. If you find yourself in that position, let me say this Christ died to save sinners from your enslavement to sin, your enslavement to pornography. Your enslavement to anger, your enslavement to envy, your enslavement to greed, your enslavement to people-pleasing, your enslavement to self-love, your enslavement to fear, your enslavement to all things pertaining to the darkness. Christ came to deal with that. So don't for a moment let this world hold you hostage. Turn to Christ, submit to Christ. Today is the day that you are hearing this message of the great and glorious love and mercy of Christ. So today is the day to respond to this message. Christ commands that he be your treasure. Today could be the day that you begin treasuring the reality that God the Son took on flesh to rescue you from your eternal doom. He was revealed that you might know and have life eternal. So, dear soul, run from the darkness. Run from the darkness and begin enjoying life eternal. Nothing in this world will satisfy. Jesus is the only one designed to do that. So lay down your weapons of resistance and turn to Jesus today. Lay down your pride and run to the only one who has the remedy for your sin and your separation from God. To repeat John chapter 3 verse 36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. May this not be said of anyone here. That the wrath of God remains on them. Run to Jesus. Church, the word of life is our foundation. Let us affirm him. Treasure the fact every single moment that he has been revealed. Let us resolve to proclaim like Paul, not ourselves, not any of our programs, any of our gifts and talents, but proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord. And let us, as we link arms in our fight against sin, our fight against the many winds of doctrine. Let us enjoy fellowship together with him and the multitudes that he has delivered from darkness. Church, see what kind of love. Let us pray. Father, who are we to be given the eyes of faith, to treasure the realities of the word of life? Father, we praise you that you, through your son, entered into history, that we might enter into heaven. So, Father, we ask that you would forgive us if we are not treasuring your son as we ought to. Oh, Father, we come to you humbly and yet boldly knowing that you are the one who gives grace for change. You give hope for a bright future. You give the resolve for maturity in the things of the Lord. So as we spend the next few moments in silent reflection, let us contemplate the fellowship we have with you and one another because of our common bond in Christ. Help us not take any of this for granted. Father, again, for the one who might be here, who is enslaved to sin, whom the wrath of God remains on, oh Father. Be so kind to crush them under the weight of their sin that they might see clearly with the eyes of faith that you give their need of Jesus. Lead them to the cross. Lead them to yourself through your Son. Father, for those of us who believe, we praise you. And we with one heart and one voice, we declare... All praise be to Christ from now into eternity. Pray all of this in Jesus' amazing, tender, and mighty name. Amen.